0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, In my home for this podcast is really a personal hero for me um, who's doing so much work with suicide prevention in the state of Utah. Really, one of the very um, key leaders in this space is my friend, Taryn Hyatt. Welcome to the podcast, Taryn. Thank you for having me. Um, Ironically, Taryn's been in our home recording a podcast. There was a short period of time when Questions from the closet with Charlie Bird and um, Ben Shalotti. They were needing a spot to record a few episodes, and you came to our home, and that episode was recorded a while ago. But when I stepped in a space, an LGBTQ ally, and I'm pretty still green in the space for five years, Taryn was everywhere in this space in suicide prevention, with also a focus on helping LGBTQ people stay alive. And um, She's been in this space for 20 years, and she'll talk about. So she just has a long view. Um, She's worked in multiple areas, including with our legislature to work to pass a ban on conversion therapy, and probably lots of other things I'm not aware of. But um, if I think the focus this episode, and really let Taryn just run with it, will be her personal story. She's lost her father to suicide roughly 20 years ago. Um, Being in this space, um, LGBTQ focus within this space. You may talk about being a survivor of a suicide attempt in her own life. Um, She's a married mother of two kids, um, recently a grandmother of twin babies. So that's great. And I think if you're feeling suicidal or you're looking for tools to help somebody that's suicidal, I think Taryn will help you. She's been helping in this space for a long time. She'll also talk about a conference coming up on June 24th. We'll link to that in the show notes. I'll let her talk about that major conference here in Utah. Is that okay for an introduction? Absolutely. Will you give us just, I know you're the area director for, will you get, tell? I know you don't want to credential yourself, but just tell us what you do that would show up on a bio.
1: Oh, I love it. <laughs> so the bio is always my favorite, you know. <laughs> um, so I serve currently as the area director for both the Utah and Nevada chapters of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And I came across AFSP, that's our acronym, you know, years ago it, it took place after we did lose our dad, as you mentioned, to suicide. And I was sitting at my computer and this was AOL dial up days. You may <laughs> remember this. I, do. I know some do not. But you know, I just was looking for support and others who had been where we had been and, and I came across this organization. And so as I started to search and and learn, you know, who they were, what they were doing. Um, I learned that this was a national nonprofit doing the bulk of work around suicide in the country at the time, and they had local chapters in various states. Uh, The the states out west were minimal, and Utah definitely did not have one on the radar. And me being the doer that I am, I reached out and said, what do I need to do? Uh, Because I knew that we needed this support here. Um, I knew that our family wasn't the only one who had experienced this loss, and I needed to know how to talk about it and what I could do to help others uh, so that they had somebody to walk this journey with them.
0: And tell us about um, the focus of the American foundation for suicide prevention. Tell us a little bit more about what their focus is.
1: Yeah. They were founded back in 1987 by researchers and lost survivors, trying to understand that question. We all ask ourselves of why, right? Why does someone take their life? Why do people die by suicide? And Obviously, their focus back then was was early research. Um, They did fundraisers to to help raise money for this because, again, it was a nonprofit. We know as we look at, you know, National Institutes of Health and these other orgs who fund research grants that suicide was lower on the totem pole. We just didn't get the kind of funding that other health issues got. And so this, this kind of grassroots effort started and they started doing walks like every other health issue, right, to raise money. The money, again, would help fund these research grants. They also help to do advocacy efforts, both at a national and a state level. And then we also created programming and education, you know, hence the, the conference that you referenced, which I'll speak to. You know, it's that's a key priority is we have to educate people about this leading cause of death so we can do something to prevent it and save lives. But then also to bring hope to people who've been affected. And so we work a lot with survivors of loss, survivors of attempt and experience and those supporting somebody who struggled because we know that this affects everybody and wanted to play a key role. And so, like I mentioned, when I came across that org, I thought, okay, you're doing the things I need and I want. So so what do I got to do? How do we get involved?
0: When you got involved 20 years ago did you think this would be like a two or three year project did you have any idea that this would be really your life mission
1: No I had no idea initially my my thought was you know I wanted I did it selfishly really it was to heal I, I wanted yes. to learn and and understand everything I could I on some level knew why my dad died from suicide we had had very similar struggles throughout our life and you know I did have you know my own experiences but it was I wanted I wanted to be able to communicate that to others, right? We had a lot of, of really hurtful things said to us in those early years. Again, not because people were trying to be cruel. People didn't know what to say. So, you know, they offer those platitudes as we do, those well-meaning, you know, hey, they're in a better place or, you know, they're, they're you know, being looked after, all that good stuff. But it just, it was hurtful. And I think one of the things that was probably the most hurtful was the, the, the feelings and thoughts of cowardice selfishness that I just knew not to be true I knew that people who got to that space of contemplating ending their life were in what I refer to as a dark night of the soul you know and and I love there's a quote my husband shared with me years ago that actually came from David O. McKay that says you know often the greatest battles fought are within the silent chambers of our own soul and I know that you know and and yet here so many people are fighting in that without support and help And I just wanted to be able to give people the support and help so that they didn't have to do that fight alone.
0: Um, I'm already deeply moved just by listening to you. Um, Tell us about your dad.
1: Oh, my dad. So my dad, Terry Aiken, um, you know, I grew up in here in Utah, in in Orem. My dad was a really successful businessman. You know, we lived a beautiful life. I was spoiled. (laughs) Country club kid, getting to golf, you know, at Riverside, swimming in the pool. We had four wheelers, you name it. You know, we did. We had a good life. But unbeknownst to us, you know, our dad suffered with one of those those silent battles and and lived with severe depression, uh, pretty severe anxiety. And, and as we you know, grew to learn, what I learned is, is his really manifests physically, meaning it wasn't just in his mind, right, where he would have these bouts of sadness or excessive worry. It was physical symptoms. His stomach was so ill, his throat became, you know, really inflamed from acid reflux and other things. And, and he had just health problem after health problem. That meant surgery. And we know back then that meant opioids. And unfortunately, not a good understanding about opioids and what that meant. So my father was left with a, a really severe opioid addiction. Um, uh, he, he treated his mental health with, with medication only. Uh, we've learned now that, you know, about a third of people who go on to die from suicide, they are medication only patients, meaning they're only treating the chemical. It would be the same as if somebody with diabetes only managed their diabetes with insulin. There were no behavior changes, no dietary changes, right? No physical, you know, shift. And, and so we know it's just not the best way to manage that illness. So his depression went unmanaged, you know, for a lot of years and, and unfortunately uh, would take him. And we lost him in October of 2002. And how old was he? He was 54 years old. Man, I'm creeping up on that. You know, I turned 46 this year and it's just so strange to me to think that I'm approaching having him be gone more than I had him. But wow. I cherish those 26 years that I had him as my father. Um, they weren't all bad, right? Sometimes it's easy to reflect back and think of how dark it got at the end, but there was so much light and love. And, and he was a wonderful uh, father, maybe not the best husband. My mom would tell you, but he was a wonderful father and uh, yeah, we miss him. I miss him every day.
0: I sent your love for your dad and- and you, you see him the way I think God sees him mm-hmm. and loves him, and you seem to have great understanding and empathy for the unique, difficult road he walked without the support tools that you're now bringing to other people.
1: Definitely, definitely.
0: Um, I have to think he's aware of your work.
1: I sure hope so, and I believe so too. I always said, you know, if we could help one person to not have to feel the darkness he felt or if they were the daughter like myself that, that, that found their loved one, that they would have that support. And I know we've done more than that. And, and I believe, my own belief, you know, and, and I live in the rooms of recovery in another aspect of my life, but we talk all the time about some have to die so others can live. And unfortunately, although his life was really dark and hard, his life gave light to a lot of people because of what we learned and what we took from his experience um, as his kids. And as the people who loved him.
0: I love that. Um, Give your favorite number for people that um, your favorite suicide prevention number.
1: Yeah. So if you're struggling or in crisis, you know, there is a dedicated suicide prevention lifeline. And right now that can still be reached at 800 273 8255. Uh, Again, 1 800 273 8255. That call will be answered locally based on your area code. So whatever area code you're calling from, you'll be routed to that state's crisis center. If you're here in the state of Utah where I live, that's Huntsman Mental Health Institute. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, somebody will pick up and you can talk. And something I always tell individuals is... You don't have to be in crisis to call if you just need to talk to somebody. If you're worried and you want to understand how to help somebody, call. Get that support to, to walk through what you might need to say or do so that you can have those questions answered.
0: Can you call anonymous?
1: Yes, it's anonymous. Again, I think a lot of people have this misperception that if I am suicidal, they're going to come and, and take me. And, and please know that's not true. What will happen is a mental health professional will assess your situation. They're going to try to talk you through coping strategies and different things to resolve your crisis. Now, if you were in immediate danger or threat to yourself, then yes, we would do like we would for any other emergency. And we would call emergency personnel to come and assist you. Um, But the goal is, and, and moving forward, we're really trying to just help provide a mental health solution to an emotional crisis so no punishment none of that but just again support to get you through that moment and find what next steps need to be taken to keep you safe
0: um i want to go back to something you said cuz i've never heard anybody say that and i just think it's worth developing a little further so i i and maybe listeners completely understand it you talked about your father and you talked about he was on meds which was a good thing mm-hmm. but you talked about that wasn't a complete you know solution to Solving his mental health issues. And then you talked about physical illnesses. So, just yeah. is what's the missing piece again for me and other listeners that missed just what's beyond meds? Is it yeah. a therapist? Is yeah. it? Yeah. So, again, sort it's, of getting to the cause and yeah, the root. Yeah. Getting thing? into the
1: cause and root of what it is. And, and we know that, again, the, the brain, right? That's where mental health resides, right? The brain. And when the brain gets sick, it often manifests in our behavior. So if you think of depression, right, it changes our diet, it changes our sleep patterns, it changes our mood. And so while yes, medication may assist in some of that, we also have to learn skills and tools so that we can supplement that so that it's the most effective. And really what we need to continue to look at with our mental health is it is physical health, right? There really is no difference. Again, the chemical that resides in our brain that's responsible for our mood is called serotonin, and it's made in our stomach. You know, most people don't realize that. That's why what we eat affects our mental health. That's why our diet and and those things, we see it play out. That's also why you get a tummy ache when you're nervous, you know, and stress. Sometimes we feel it in our gut because these things are connected. And so we do know that it's important that people who engage in therapeutic interventions, medication interventions, the two together usually work best. For some, they may not need meds at all. It may be therapy only. But we have continued to see folks who only use medications not do as well because they're missing that behavioral component, those strategies that they can use to, again, shift some of that thinking that comes in a brain that's struggling.
0: That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, there's other organizations within Utah like you need. Do you want to just describe the different organizations just so our listeners can, you probably can do this as well as anybody, just if there's a different focus or different yeah. emphasis and just kind of give us the lay of the land of the major organizations here in Utah.
1: There's so many good people doing good work. And what we all know right now is that we are in a mental health crisis. Uh, the pandemic has only elevated people's stress. Um, the tensions that we're seeing politically in the world, right, has has just increased everyone's awareness. And, And so we know that more people are needing access to services than ever before. Unfortunately, we still have a provider shortage, and that's true in mental health. It has been for years and has not changed. But with the increase, we know that more people need support that maybe will not have access. That's why things like the Lifeline answered up at Huntsman is so beneficial. Yes, there's inpatient facilities like Uni. Um, that's the University, or excuse me, University Neuropsychiatric Institute. But again, now it's Huntsman Mental Health Institute. Um, and so there are inpatient facilities where people can go and again be assessed, have time to get their mental health under control, to get on the right medications, to learn some of those strategies before coming back to life and, and its issues. Um, but there's also some great peer supports. And this is the one thing I think we need to encourage now more than ever is because there's a shortage. We as fellow humans need to show up and support one another better than we ever have. Meaning that you might be the person someone can open up to that they can, you know, listen, be heard and, and just validate their experience. You don't have to have all the tools to know how to fix it, because guess what? You can't. But you just being there and being present and hearing another person's pain is very helpful. But uni, so University of Utah, they also have a peer-to-peer program. The state um, has peer support specialists. My favorite resource that is so underutilized is called NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And again, this is free. We all know that free makes a difference, especially when we're talking about access. But these are free educational groups, family support groups. So if you have a loved one that's struggling or a loved one with a mental health condition, you can go get support. You can learn how you can be taking care of yourself and also supporting your loved one. But your loved one can also get that same information and support. So peer programs are great. Um, Again, licensed mental health professionals. we, We have many, but we need more. You know, I start my master's in social work this August because I know we need more people fighting that good fight. So why not throw one more, one more thing in the fire? I don't know the word for it right now, but, you know, just just trying to do our, our part to help support people.
0: It's, that's really cool. You're And, you're, you know, you've told us what your age is, but you decide to go back and mm-hmm. get a master's in social work. You know so much of this space. Why get a master's in social work?
1: Because I know right now we need to have folks that, that people can show up to see, um, you know, especially when we start talking about some of our marginalized communities, you know, they need folks who, who understand them and support them. Um, and, and I just know that, that we need more people. And so, so by having to- that license, I'd be able to see people privately if need be. I can work in other spaces. Um, one of the reasons I was really intrigued is, is I want to be able to give back. And right now, you know, when you take a master's or you're, you, you work through that social work program, you have to volunteer your time and do practicum hours. And I'm going to do mine at the state hospital. Um, our state hospital is in dire need of more staffing. In fact, they were looking to close more beds. And again, that, that can not happen. We need more beds than ever now. We can't afford to lose because we don't have people. So again, I'm a doer. <laughs> I'm going to do. I think that is terrific. And- one of the
0: things that runs these podcast listeners is often as you're younger and trying to figure out your life plan, you hear people who are doing really unique things and to, and not in necessarily the normal order that culture says you do things. So I love that you're um, getting a master's in social work at your age and yeah. it will just help you be able to help people more. And, Absolutely. Um, talk about Benet Larson and what her group does, because I know you're... Um, at times teamed up with Bene and she's been on the podcast before.
1: Yeah, I love Bene. So Bene works for NAMI, that organization I just spoke of. Bene and I also get to work uh, together at the State Suicide Prevention Coalition. So many folks may have heard of our new suicide prevention campaign called Live On. Yes. So Live On Utah, right, is a mantra and it's a mantra of hope. Really trying to, again, get our community aware, educated, and what to do when somebody is struggling. So B'nai and I also get to co-chair certain work groups of our coalition, and she oversees the faith work group. So we get to work together when we plan our faith summit to help train faith leaders on how to be again ministers. Um, And by ministers, I mean ministering to the people that they're serving, so that they have the tools, um, especially when it comes to suicide and suicide risk.
0: And um, this is such a should be such a unified space. When I went to that interfaith summit and spoke briefly there. Um, I just love that there were all these people from all these different faiths unified um, to prevent suicide. And I see that on Capitol Hill in Utah. Um, People from all religions, no religions, all political parties, no political parties, unified. And I'm sure that's not completely true. And there's some divisions and some feelings. Conversion therapy ban took a lot of good work. Mm But um, what you're feeling is that True, that there is a lot of good bridge building work and we could be unified in this space.
1: Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I think Utah has done really well. You know, suicide and mental health are nonpartisan issues, number one. So politically, there should be no party that that has an opposition. We want people to pursue, you know, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That's what we all want. We all want people to live good, meaningful, healthy lives. And so, yes, this is definitely an issue that people can put aside some of those differences to really come together on. Uh, we do often still see some, some, maybe backlash would be the word, you know, when, when we are trying to prioritize a specific community's mental wellness. And again, I think that, that backlash just comes from fear, right? We fear what we don't understand. And so when we're not educated about a certain group, we might have misperceptions and not understand, you know, who they are, what they need. But when we come down to the basic components of suicide prevention, it's simple. It's connection. People need to feel connected to a purpose, to their life, to their family, to their community, to their, you know, will to be here. Like if I have a purpose, I want to stay. That helps me want to get through the things that are hard. And so connection is really what we've done a good job at, I think, of, of creating, especially amongst all the agencies I spoke of. We all work really well together. We know no one group can tackle this issue. And I believe suicide is the health issue of our time. Um, I just do. You know, that dark night of the soul is more prevalent than ever for so many because of how heavy life has become. And just like cancer 30 years ago was not referred to as even cancer. Remember, we hush-hush talked about it. You know, that's how suicide has been. And we have to get this out. And again, it starts with taking care of mental health and and talking openly about our struggles, getting support and showing up for each other.
0: Um, One of the things is, Taryn and I have traded emails. Um, She signs off with hope. And um, that's a consistent word you're using over and over again. And when you talk about dark night of the soul, I I like that term because it infers mourning. Yep. At some point, there's hope even in the reality of the dark night of the soul. Absolutely. Um, There's hope that there is a dawn. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts you're giving to people in the organizations you work with is hope.
1: Yeah, because again, right, the sun always rises. It always rises. Even on the cloudiest day, the clouds part. Even when the rain is pouring down, eventually it stops. And and sometimes those feel really long. Sometimes it feels like it, it won't. But again, that's why we need to be there for each other. You don't have to sit in it alone. One of my favorite quotes too says, you know, if you can't look on the bright side, I'll sit in the dark with you. Right? I'll sit there till you can. And And that's what people need. You know, they just need to know that it will get different. Notice I didn't say better. It gets different and we get a chance to to try again.
0: Talk about the event. Um, that's an LGBTQ focus, I believe, on June 24th. And the listeners will link to this in the show notes.
1: Yeah. You know, this last legislative session and, and really nationwide, right? We've just seen a, another barrage of bills that are really targeting our LGBTQ community. And um, you know, we, we witness firsthand the impact that that has on individuals. And, and personally, when I listened to a lot of the things said, especially at our legislature, you know, there was just so many statements that were callous and, and just uninformed, you know, comparing trans people to, to horses, if you will, and just hurt my soul. And I'm not even a trans person. I can't imagine how that would feel. And so AFSP has done a a conference before. It's a national conference. We actually held it in Utah back in 2017, but we knew we needed to bring it back and it's called Stronger Communities. And what it is, is it's a full day conference intended to increase education, awareness, and again, support for our LGBTQ community. So we're bringing in a few national speakers. We have Jody Herman, who's going to come and speak specifically on transgender issues. And again, I would invite people, if you're confused or concerned or you don't understand what it means, come learn. Again, there's no fault in saying, I just don't understand. Help teach me. I've had to learn. I'm sure you have too, right? About how to be a good ally. What does that mean? How do I show up? What words do I use? Why do pronouns matter? You know, this kind of stuff, this conference will help to educate you on that. Uh, We have Chris Bright coming from the Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is our LGBTQ suicide prevention resource that does so much good work. And then Jeremy Goldblock is coming and his whole presentation is on connection. And, you know, a good friend of mine, Deb Coe, we talk about this all the time, is connection, again, is the antidote to suicide. It's the antidote to a lot of stuff, Um, but uh, his will be really powerful. And then we'll have some local uh, speakers that'll do some individual breakouts so we can highlight the good work being done in our state. But again, it's really intended just to make our community stronger. LGBTQ people bring so much value to our lives. They deserve to feel safe. They deserve to know that they have a space. And they really deserve to know that they belong in Utah. And so that's what this conference is all about. So yeah, June 24th, it'll happen here in Salt Lake City at the University Park Marriott.
0: And so I don't need to be a mental health professional or... I can just be someone that wants to learn how to better help people. Absolutely.
1: And if you are a mental health professional, we'll give you some continuing education <laughs> credits so you can get those knocked out as well. And we also have scholarship opportunities. So if you can't afford it, reach out to me. Um, I will provide that. We've had some amazing community supportive sponsors that we have, we have funding to be able to provide that. So, so join us.
0: How do people reach out to you?
1: Yeah. So you can reach out to me at Taryn Hyatt. So T-H-I-A-T-T at AFSP.org. My information is on our local Utah chapter page as well. So just AFSP.org slash Utah. That's where you'll find more information about the conference as well.
0: And we'll put that in the show notes. Um, Talk about, there's two thoughts in my brain and you can go whichever. I'd love you to tell your own story with I don't even know the right vocabulary, some suicide attempts and just your personal story and what you've learned. And I'm thinking that will help others. And you've probably talked about that. Um, I'd love to also talk about, you know, you stepped in the space with your father, Terry, um, dying by suicide, but you've got a big LGBTQ focus in this space. So I'd love you to help our listeners understand why you're deeply connected to that issue. So those are two big subjects for you.
1: No, I love it. Thank you. Um, I'll start, obviously, with my own experience because it does kind of tie into what brought me into the space um, as well with LGBTQ and our community. Um, You know, I mentioned that when my father died from suicide, you know, I had some understanding about what he had had dealt with. And that's because I, too, as a teen had experienced really severe depression. Only I didn't know that's what it was. Um, you know, as a as a kid, I grew up here in our state. I did what all kids do that are LDS. I got baptized at age eight, and you know, I remember vividly that was a unique experience for me because at the time, right? I, I sit down, I go through this interview, I'm deemed worthy, and then I start being sexually abused. Wow! And the sexual abuse was happening from a neighbor, and it was a female, and so it was very confusing. Number one, especially as a as a kid. But then my, my body experienced things that I didn't understand. And having no one have ever mentioned anything to me about being gay, lesbian, any of that, I already knew what those things were, you know, and, and my own experience led me to believe that maybe I was gay. Maybe there was something happening. And I just remember, you know, my memories from that time were me being afraid, me being afraid of God, me thinking that he must not love me that he must think I'm evil and and not wanting to be here anymore. I would dress in my closet, right? I would do all these little weird kind of nuanced things because I just didn't want to be seen. And at the same time, I I had developed what's called scoliosis. Um, About two years after the the sexual abuse had ended, my spine became the shape of an S. And what I learned, you know, years later, is is that was probably due to my, my throat chakra. Yes, I'm an energy nut. But I believe that our energy resides in our body. And again, it affects our physical health. And my throat chakra was blocked. I never told anybody what happened to me. I kept that secret because I was so ashamed. And unfortunately, once I had um, scoliosis, it was pretty severe. It required surgery. So I had my first surgery at age 12, which meant I got introduced to opioids and morphine and instantly felt a flood of relief. Right. I didn't have to feel this emotional turmoil that I had been living with. Um, I'd also had a few attempts at suicide by this point, too. And, And I again, nobody had talked to me about it. So this dispels the myth, folks, that if we talk about it, it gives people the idea. Nobody had talked to me about it. I just knew I couldn't go on. And I want to be very clear for me and many out there. I know who I've chatted with who've experienced suicidal thinking. It wasn't that I wanted to die. I just didn't know how to live with what was happening to me. Wow! I wanted to change it. I wanted to fix it. I just didn't know how. So I felt stuck. I felt trapped, right? Then I just want to get away from it. Then my brain thinks, well, if you're not here, problem solved. And so thankfully, you know, my attempts were um, that, that, that I got help. I was found. I was, I was given help and support. So I lived. I was put into psychiatric facilities who, of course, back then I was devastated and hated every minute of it and fought it like tooth and nail. But it was the first time that I opened up. It's the first time I told the secret. And as I sat in a room with twelve other people who were in there for suicide attempts, they all went me too, right? I mean, we all sat and shared this, this similar right experience. Not the same, but similar. And, you know, for so long, I had thought, I'm the only one, you know, this has never happened to anyone else. Well, that wasn't true. I learned real quick that I was just one of. And together, we learned how to work through that and heal. And I did come out of that, that experience with some, some tools. Um, unfortunately, a lot of what I came out of there with was, was substance. I, I still continue to use substance. Um, and, and drugs and alcohol kept me alive for a long time, you know, and I tell people that. Uh, coming up here in just a few weeks, June 23rd, in fact, the night before our conference, you know, I'll celebrate nine years clean and sober. And that's the longest, you know, I had gone since I was a 12-year-old kid. Wow. And, and that was a journey, right? That was a journey through a lot of life to figure out what other tools can I use. So, again, going back to the, you know, my dad and the medication, drugs and alcohol, yeah, maybe kept me here, but they never gave me the tools to cope with. They never gave me the strength to look inside, to figure out what it was that was really eating me alive so that I could face it for once and for all and be done. And, you know, that's what I found. I found that going to the rooms of AA. I found a God I could understand. I found a group of people who I I could relate to and and I found recovery. And I'm grateful for that. You know, every year that I pick up a chip, I pick one up for my father, too, because my dad never found that gift. And I will cherish the fact that I got to have another chance. And so every year I make it is not just a year for me or my kids. It's a year for him because he didn't get to have that, that in his experience here. So it's been a journey. It hasn't been easy. You know, it's up, down, and all around. Um, but, you know, I know what to do today when my brain goes back to that dark space. I know that I can't stay in it by myself. I have to tell somebody. I totally know who I can tell and who I can't. And that's important, right? Sometimes we tell people who don't have our back or maybe don't know how to support us. So that's why we cultivate and find the people who we know do have our back. So I've learned a lot of really important skills, you know, over the last 30 years of my life, you know, since I started out as a teen. But just more than anything, so grateful to have been given another chance and get to live the life I'm living today. Um, You know, suicide's a thief. And I say that all the time. It's a thief. It robs us. It robs us of that opportunity to overcome and to get through and to see that daylight, that dawn that we spoke of. And for those who love us, it robs them of getting the chance to live life with us. And so again, if you're in that space, you know, please tell someone, tell someone you trust, tell as many people as you have to until someone takes you serious. And if you don't think anyone will listen, tell me. Again, I gave my email, I'll give it again, T. Hyatt at AFSP, you know, call that lifeline. You matter, you know, and we do need you here. No one else can play the role that you were meant to play. And I wouldn't be having grandbabies and, and experiencing the joy that I'm getting to do today. Had I died all those times, I tried. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: Thank you for being honest. You're being a survivor of sexual abuse and having no context for that and dressing in the closet and just the different things that you were doing to cope and um, talking about your attempts. Um, I... Uh, It's interesting for me, a lot of that was interesting, but drugs and alcohol kept you alive, and if I understand right, it's just you needed something Mm -hmm. to just survive, and it was a coping mechanism until you had the tools or the right time to look inward and really say, I've got to address,
1: Yeah,
0: I sort of call it the bottom of the iceberg stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Um, And went there, and once and for all, I think is the vocabulary Mm you just used. what would you say sometimes people that are just coming out of um is uni the in inpatient? yeah so are you, I don't know what the right words or some people go to uni um because they've had an attempt and I would talk to somebody and and I think you just said yeah, it's been part of your story that's just coming out of uni yeah um and just you know they didn't anticipate an inpatient inpatient mental health
1: yeah.
0: experience. I hope I'm using the right vocabulary yeah, and now they're out and talk to that group
1: yeah so what do we know is really unique about having an inpatient experience is again for some of us it's not pleasant for some we can take like i said i fought it tooth and nail until the end and then i finally started to see the benefit that was coming but we actually know that's a really critical time for people because we are so vulnerable right we've just had this really intense experience we come back to work we come back to school you know, if I had when I had my back surgeries, you better believe people are over there saying, hey, how you doing? What can I do for you? Can I get the door? When I had my suicide attempt, crickets, Interesting. you know, and just because people don't know what to say. And so no one understand that maybe somebody's response to you may feel hurtful, but it's probably not intended. It's probably because they don't know how to show up. So that's one of the things we encourage is we have a program that's called Finding Hope. And it's all about teaching people how to support somebody who's at risk or struggled. And then also practicing good self-care. You know, the first things you need to do is get into a provider. Again, we know that can be a time issue, meaning there's a waiting list. So in the meantime, reach out to those peer supports. Start going to a support group. Um, Again, connecting with others who share that experience. It's helpful. Just like I mentioned in that little group setting, right? We learn real quick, we're not alone. And those who have been there can relate to us in a way that we're able to hear sometimes the things we can't hear from somebody who's maybe never shared that. So be patient with yourself. Remember, you didn't get to the point of attempting suicide overnight. It usually was years, weeks, months in the making. It's gonna take time to come back out too. So giving yourself grace, giving yourself space, and giving yourself permission to not be okay, you know, and and just take it one day at a time.
0: How old were you?
1: I was 12 when I had my last, you know, attempt that ended me up hospitalized. But it's not the last time that I, I considered or attempted um, or not attempted, excuse me, but considered. You know, last two years ago during the pandemic, I ended up in that space again where I was back in my doctor's office saying, hey, I've been doing the therapy. I've been doing all the stuff that I know how to do. It ain't working. I think I need to get back on my meds and I have. And and again, that's been a game changer, but I also still see my therapist and, you know, do my recovery meetings. And there's a lot of stuff I do each day to keep me living mentally well. So you have to find those things for you. And again, it's, it's managing a health condition the same way we would manage cancer, heart disease, diabetes. There's things we have to do to, to manage our mental wellness.
0: I love that you just shared a little bit because it- my assumption would have been since you're such a a voice in the state, space in the state of Utah that your, your personal journey is kind of over and you're at the finish line. And I think what you're teaching us is there's no finish line. There's
1: no finish line. And, and there's but no what linear. You understand, yeah.
0: And there's no linear. No but linear what process. you understand is you're very self-aware of your situation. You're very honest with your situation and you're very willing to say, This is my, these are the things I need to do when I realize this is where I am and I'm strong enough and self-aware enough to do that stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because again, I know where it takes me if I don't. And today it's not acceptable for me to go back to that space. I want to live. I want to be here. I want to be present. So I'm willing to do the hard stuff, the EMDR, the therapy that we're like, ah, do I really have to revisit all that garbage? We do, right? We revisit it just enough to, to get a shift and a change, and, and then we get better. And again, we might ebb and flow and go back, but there is hope. And again, I, I know what works, so I continue to find those things.
0: Anything else you say to somebody that's just come out of inpatient?
1: I think the other thing I would encourage is, again, find your support people. Um, remember that sometimes the people who love us most may not be those people. And that's because this takes an emotional toll on them as well. Um, It's hard to watch your loved one struggle because we feel powerless. We don't know what to do to help them. We don't know how to fix it. We want to. So encourage your loved one to get support, you know, establish good boundaries with people, Um, you know, establish boundaries for yourself. Maybe it's, you know, that you don't go back to that toxic relationship. You don't get back on social media, you know, whatever those things are. Um, You know, find the things that help to fill you up and do more of that, right? Versus doing the things that deplete us and take us down.
0: Um, Anything else on that segment where you want to shift to LGBTQ? No,
1: I think that's it. That was
0: terrific. Thank Thank you for your courage to just share your story. Um, I think it helps other people. This is not just theoretical for you. This Mm -hmm. is real life. Yeah. Um, before we shift to the last segment, you that are regular listeners just could guess I'm going to read my favorite quote, which I can't find in my stack of papers. Um, it's The Wounded Healer. That's by Henry Norn, a Catholic priest. A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded about by, by the suffering about which he or she speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of a desert. By someone who's never been there and um, you know this desert
1: mm-hmm. you have
0: been there and you have been a wounded healer for hundreds and hundreds and that's something that may give hope to the dark night of the soul for those of you that are in the dark night of the soul as you can follow the path hopefully that Terren's been able to follow that you too can do what Terran's doing it may not be on a statewide or a national level it may be just on an individual level. It may be in your own family or circle of friends, but it's a great gift to help people have hope in the middle of the dark night of the soul. Absolutely.
1: And I'm no one special. I'm just one of God's kids, same as you. And if I can do it, you can do it. I believe that with everything in me. You know, God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't give any one of us things that the other one doesn't get to have. And I believe that.
0: I believe that. Talk of, talk about our LGBTQ friends.
1: Yeah. You know, LGBTQ people have always had a special place in my heart. Um, As a young kid, you know, I grew up with an aunt. It was one of my mom's sisters who I just loved. And I always knew she was just a little unique, uh, quirky, if you will, when we were growing up. She gave the best Christmas presents. I think when I was 16, I got hot pink sparkly shoelaces and I loved it. But, you know, one thing that I came to learn about my aunt is my aunt identified as a lesbian and, and had a partner. And unfortunately, we went through a lot of our life never getting to meet her partner because she stayed away. And, and that hurt my heart that she couldn't be a part of and feel included and loved, you know, here. And so I I knew that 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 was something I wanted to, to change and be inclusive. I also worked as a hairdresser for years and, and worked at Palm Mitchell Schools. And um, one of the, the greatest gifts I got to have there is just meeting such an array of fascinating humans. And there are so many students I could name by name, but I won't for their own sake. But, you know, just that, that opened my eyes to how important it is that people have a place that, that loves and accepts them. And then a few years ago, you know, when uh, Troy Williams from Equality Utah approached me and we were chatting about, hey, we're going to do this conversion therapy ban. What's it going to look like? You know, I had one of my own um, family members come out and let me know that they had gone through some of that conversion therapy. Um, trying to change themselves to, again, pray away the gay and and just just because they wanted to live and be accepted here. And so it only solidified the the drive I already had that that all people, all people, need to have a space where they feel loved, accepted, a part of. And yes, we were going to stop doing anything that caused harm, like conversion therapy and and those practices. So I was all in. I was all in.
0: I love that. Talk to um, LGBTQ people that right now are in the dark night of the soul, um, which is a little different path. than if I yeah. don't want to compare paths, but if you're trying to fit in like you talk about mm-hmm. and doing everything you can to fit into a heteronormative world, and it's just not working, um, that can put you in a pretty dark spot, as you know. Totally. Um, talk to that group.
1: You know, I had an interesting experience just the other day that that really kind of drove this point home. You know, I, I proudly fly a, a pride and a trans and an inclusion flag and have a, a darling little male person who comes and drops off my mail. And, and one day when, when they brought me my, you know, lovely IRS bill, um, we joked. I said, really, where's my million dollars? But I'll take the IRS debt. Uh, at any rate, my flag was, was blowing in their face. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, my flag's attacking you. And they rephrased it and said, no, it's wrapping me in love. And when I saw this individual a few days later, I could see the distress and, and that they weren't okay. And when I asked and inquired, you know, they opened up and said, I, I'm not, and I am in that dark night and I am in that space and that I've been trying to end my own life for over 20 years. And I just said, wow, I said, well, you know what, how about today? Let's let today be the day that we start living, that we start finding you that group of people who does support you, who does have your back who does want to see you thrive and live and enjoy your best life. And, you know, that's what I've seen time and time again. I can't relate in every aspect of what your life might be. I wouldn't even try. But I do know that you deserve to be loved, accepted, felt a part of, and I want to do whatever I can to create a community that, that you flourish in, right? That you see that in yourself, that you feel that, that you don't have fear of going out and, and being, you know, misgendered or somebody being offended by your use of pronouns or the bathroom you choose to use, or my goodness, even who you love, you know, I want you to have the same rights that I've always had as a cis woman. I never had to come out to my parents and say, hey, guess what? I like boys. You know, why do we do that to LGBTQ people? So instead, why don't we look at it as they let us in? You know, they let us in on their life and, and I value those who have let me in on their life. And I just want to see them continue to thrive and, and do well. Talk
0: um introduce neither of us are trans, mm-hmm. <laughs> introduce um trans people to our listeners that have never heard a trans person experience, or um, you're obviously very connected to that issue from a legal standpoint, from a ther- from a suicide prevention. Tell just our listeners about a trans person.
1: Yeah, you know, so again, I'm no expert either. This is what the the trans people in my life have taught me is, you know, being born into a body that doesn't feel theirs, that their gender does not feel like it is the one that they were assigned at birth. And so whether that is a a person that is born as as a boy, um but that yet feels like they are a female or or identify as that and then begin that process of of living that authentic life. For some, gender is very fluid, right? You know, I even have a little neighbor girl who she's so funny. And the other day I said, oh, you're the cutest little girl. And she just looks at me dead face and says, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy. I said, "Okay," you know, so I will make sure now that I don't refer to her using female pronouns. I won't call her those things. And again, do I think she's trans? I have no idea. She's three years old, but I'm certainly going to respect whatever it is she wants to tell me because she's a human and deserves that. And, and I just think we need to be cautious and understand that gender can evolve, that it's fluid, that there are people who don't identify as any gender, right? Nor male, nor female. If they want to use specific pronouns, use them. What's the big deal? You know, if I leave my coat in a restaurant, I look at the coat or if I find one, I say, hey, somebody left their coat. It's not a big deal. I don't go, oh, somebody left her coat. Somebody left his coat. We use these pronouns all the time. So let's just keep doing that. Um, so the trans people in my life have just taught me that. They didn't feel that who they were born as is who they truly were. And the trans people I've watched who embrace that, who live their authentic selves, are the happiest, bravest, and most courageous humans that I've ever met. And I will fight for them every waking day that I have on this earth.
0: And you are. I just look at the gospel, I just look at Christ's ministry and who he was with that People said he shouldn't be with. And I think of my trans friends and not only is with them because they were worthy to be with, but they help our society be better. (laughs) They have gifts and contributions and insights and goodness and compassion and empathy. We need our trans friends as fully participating members of society, our churches, our legal system, because of the insights they can bring us together. Um, Unity and diversity is sort of something I think a lot about, it is not unity and sameness, yeah, but unity and diversity and bringing all that beautiful diversity that God, I believe, has created. We're getting a little more comfortable with to see that as part of the plan.
1: Yeah, oh, I agree with you 100%. Because if we were all the same, how boring would that be? We need the flavor. We need the light, you know, and we need the love that each individual human has to offer.
0: Yeah, we've done a lot of podcasts on with trans people, listeners, you could scroll back and you could go to listen, learn and org, And, um, we've categorized our 500 podcasts by category. So you don't have to read, listen to all 500. There's a section there on trans. And, um, I think both Taryn and I would invite you to listen to the trans people on this podcast, other podcasts, mm-hmm. listen to your friends. Um, so that you can hear, I've always felt it's best to not develop opinions about a group of people until you meet with lots of people in that group. Absolutely. And it's just a sign of grace and humility and, and being willing to be curious and being willing to learn and um, or not have any opinions until you really get to know a group of people. Um, so our trans friends are great. Um, I added, you know, this is sort of talk about how we can signal we're safe. I think we both have our pronouns in Mm -hmm. our social media. I did that in the last six months or so because I just wanted to let people know that I'm safe. And if they're LGBTQ or an ally or a parent, that I'm a safe person for them is that they, if they're closeted or need help, they would know to turn to me. And um, I've had missionaries reach out and say, how can I signal to potential investigators to um, people in my mission, in my ward, companions, that I'm a safe person. My zone leader won't let me put the pride flag in my bio. And so <laughs> I said, and a few others suggested this to me, we'll put your pronouns. Yeah. So there's just, I'm not saying that would be a universal policy, um, but I think all of us that are trying to be allies, we we just need to think creatively of what works for us to signal that we're a safe person. You've had a lot of people open up to you probably for the first time, Taryn, yeah. because they just know Yeah, if I'm trans, they see what you're doing in our community and they go, well, Taryn is a safe person for me. And of the greatest gifts you can give to somebody is they know even before talking to you, that you're a safe person. I think in our families, in our, in our church, um, cultures, we can, we can just say kind things about LGBTQ people and those that are thinking about suicide. And, those that have challenges with drugs and alcohol use non-shaming language. And then it just communicates that we're a safe person because we're talking about these in a compassionate, Christ-like way. Yep. Thoughts, more thoughts on that? Oh,
1: I love everything you said. And again, I refer back to my, my cute little male friend who, you know, when, when they opened up to me, that was one of the first things they said is, you know what? The reason I knew I could is because of your flag, right? Because of your flag. Um, The reason I knew I could, you know, and I've heard that time and time again, and that's what matters, right? I want my behavior to emulate that I will hear you, Um, you know, and, and again, I think people first language is so important. You know, I, when I go to certain recovery meetings, yes, I'll refer to myself as an alcoholic because that's the protocol for that meeting. But guess what? I'm not, you know, that doesn't define my life. I'm so many other things. And so even with our LGBTQ community, that's, that's part of who they are doesn't define them right that isn't their whole worth and so we need to be mindful you know of the language we use around people and again see people for the whole fabulous human that they are and i just love that word human right i mean that's what we all are we're just humans and each one of us has worth and value and deserves to be seen and deserves to be heard
0: would you uh, if an lg per lgbtq person queer person were using that vocabulary more um, needs to reach out. Would you tell them to go to the Trevor Line first, or the yeah? Or the, I would uh, highly
1: the- encourage the Trevor Project first, just because again they are staffed by LGBTQ and queer folks. Um, the Trans Lifeline is a fabulous resource if you identify as trans or non-binary, where again you're going to get support from people who also share your experience. Our Lifeline is still going to have trained mental health professionals that do have this basic competency, you know, and and some cultural humility. But it's always better when you work with individuals who truly understand and respect um, that that specific population. So, yeah, the Trans Lifeline and then Trevor Project would both be fabulous resources for our queer community. Do you know those numbers off the top of your head? Those are the two I don't because they're longer, but we'll get them we up for you. will put them in the show yeah. notes,
0: listeners. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize there was a trans dedicated yeah. line. If I'm a parent of an LGBTQ child, would those line numbers be helpful for me?
1: Because again, you can call, you can talk, you can ask questions. You know, that's why I love that we're seeing more resources pop up for friends and family who are trying to support. One of my favorites was a friend reached out to me the other day that says, you know, my niece has come out as bisexual. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, I love that you're asking, Yeah, right? I love that you want to know how to show up and support her. So again, that's one of the beautiful things about these resources is families can use them too.
0: Um, I don't know if you went to Love Loud. I bet you've been in the past. I've been know.
1: in the past. I missed this time because we Maybe were at the hospital. Twins. <laughs> the twins.
0: I listened to um, David Archuleta's mm. talk, and then he sang the song Glorious, that I think the, there's a version that he's written. Um, I've listened to this song a few times that he's sung in the past. It just comes up in my playlist, but he sang it at, as a queer member of our community um, at Love Loud, and. The words in there um, are really wonderful, listeners. I may, I'll link to his Love Loud 13-minute clip. It's him talking as well as singing this song. And I think he may have sung a song within this song. Not a very good musician. so, But he talks about there's every, everyone plays a piece and there are melodies in each one of us. Oh, it's glorious is one of the verses. It's like a symphony. We just keep listening and pretty soon you'll start to figure out your part. Um, pretty powerful words. I'm reading this song in the wrong order. Um, But you'll find out that there's a purpose. It's been there within you all along. And his first um, section is there are times when you might feel aimless and you can't see places where you belong. But I think that's one of the greatest gifts we can give people is to feel like they belong. Absolutely more about that concept of connection and belonging. You've talked about that. We yeah. keep
1: talking about that. Yeah, no. And we, and I loved his thing. I had many people share that with me and watch David Archuleta's performance. And man, was that powerful. And that's why I love loud, right? has been such an amazing experience is because that's what it's instilling in people is that you belong here, you matter. And you know, whenever we talk protective factors against suicide, one of the first things we talk about is that social and community support, that social connectedness because we're human. Human beings are social creatures. We need others. That's why the pandemic became so difficult is the isolation, the being away from, the pulling back from, not being able to see the people who maybe did support us. And so you know, when, when people were initially reaching out to us saying, oh, what can we do? You know, We said, we're doing it. We're coming together. You know, Something that the media would have you believe is that suicide skyrocketed during the pandemic when in fact it didn't. 2020 was the second year we saw a decrease in the national suicide death rate. And that's because people hunkered down and came together. I wish that it didn't take times of hardship and a global pandemic for us to unify and do that. But when we do that, that provides support for people. Um, There's another gentleman and I'm blanking his name right now, but he also talks about even the, you know, uh, counterproduct to addiction is also that connection. Um, you know, when I feel again connected to, it doesn't want lead me down some of these paths that that we find ourselves in. So, yeah, connection is the best form of of suicide prevention. I believe that to my core. I love that. Um, we're
0: kind of coming to the end. what What else is on your mind you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: I just want to share that I think right now, more than ever, you know, and I, I've said this a lot as of late. It's just that right now more than ever, we need to really be be present and showing up for each other be willing to have those real conversations. You know, we all recognize when someone's struggling and I don't care if it's the stranger on the street. Yeah, I'm that lady. When I see somebody who I can tell is upset or seems like they're off, say something. What if you're the only one who does? You know, when I, when I talk to people who've attempted suicide or survived some of that, you know, most of them will say, I felt so invisible in my life. I really didn't think people saw me or cared because that's what depression does, right? It lies to us. And so just being willing to, to, again, say hi, you know, wave at the person on the street. Not how are you as we keep walking. How are you if I'm going to stop and actually listen to the response, right? But we just need more of that. We need the human interaction. We've gone without for so many years now with, the again, the pandemic. We've missed that. We need to come together and connect more than ever. So have those real conversations, seize those awkward moments and, and just love on each other a whole lot more.
0: And we can all do that. I love the way you talk about, uh, I, you know, we can all do this. Yes. You're going to be a master's in social work at some point, but we don't need to get that clinical training to do the thing. Everything you've talked about is within our control. Assuming we're, in a good, reasonably good spot to be able to help others, but maybe helping others helps us help ourselves. Um, the talk in our local LDS congregation, giving a shout out to Kristen Ashton, who I just believe got her doctorate degree, maybe in socials work. So it's Dr. Kristen Ashton. She talked about compassion a lot in her talk. And you've made me think of this, Taryn, but she talked and I t- texted this to myself. Um, she talks about what the world needs now is love. And she talks about that song. I can't remember the mm-hmm. artist and um, just the world needs now is love. And I can't sing sweet
1: it. Love, It's the only thing that there's just too little love, right? Exactly. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Yeah, that's totally what we need.
0: <laughs> and so I've heard that song my whole life, but I started to just listen to the lyrics now. And it's such a simple formula, but, it's a timeless and needed for me. And then she went on, um, you did that really good oh, spontaneously, Taryn. <laughs> then she talks about compassion. And she went on to sort of make that an action word versus just a statement. She talks about what you're teaching us also. It means with suffering, suffering with another. And she even invites us to replace the word compassion with suffer with. And to me, that's just being what you're saying is present, listening, acknowledging the pain and deep, authentic connection. Yeah, that's it. And for those of us that are part of religious faiths, I think that's part of our, you know, part of our reason we're in these faiths is to lift the burdens of others. And you're doing that in remarkable ways, Taryn. And I think that's how God works to bless a lot of his children is through other people coming in their lives to do the very things that Taryn's inviting us to do. Um, so, Taryn Hyatt, you're awesome. You're one of my heroes. You may not like to hear that word but thanks for sharing your own story you're the wounded healer um you're doing so much good in our community you're a bridge builder um you're everywhere i go on social media and what you're doing and what i read in the paper um and you just want of you're bernave browns braving the wilderness because you just belong everywhere you're in all these different circles um and to me that's what the savior did he was in all these different circles trying to do good wherever he went and he was comfortable in all those different circles and you help, um, show us how to do that. So I think our joint invitation is just to act on the impressions you felt in this podcast. If you're, um, have feelings of suicide, I would guess some thoughts came into your mind on how to get in a better place emotionally and act on those, Write The two or three things down, not a 20, a 10, item list two or three that you're actually going to do. Um, if you're a parent and worried about somebody, act on your impressions. And if you're just trying to do better in the space, act on your impressions and what you can do. And it may just be coming to a summit or um, learning better skills and better vocabulary so you're comfortable with these kind of conversations. Um, Do you want to just talk about QPR training real quickly?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's so many gatekeeper programs. That's what we call them. And it's, again, it's a program for people who just want to support others. QPR stands for question, persuade, refer. And again, it's a skill building training that will help you identify when somebody's having thoughts of suicide, how to ask them the question directly. Where to refer them to get help. And again, persuading. Remember, we can't make people get help if they don't want it, but we can encourage. And so it just helps you have that practical conversation to support somebody who's at risk.
0: That's great. And I think you mentioned Deborah Coe earlier in the podcast. Yes, that, I
1: love Deborah Coe. She's one of my heroes too, just like you doing well, good work. Deborah,
0: you deserve a shout out. And I know you've been really working hard on QPR wherever you go. And it's a team effort. We all just do what we can in our yeah. area of influence. So, um, listeners, thanks for joining us. This is Tarrant Hyatt and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. And all the things we've mentioned um, will be in the show notes, all the links we've talked about.